Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. Well, we're going to go right to our first speaker. Our speaker is Congressman Mike Johnson from the state of Louisiana. Uh, Congressman, would you take the first 60 seconds and just tell kind of your life story? And then we're going to jump in. We have a lot to cover very quickly here. So take the first 60 seconds, just tell who you are, and then I've got a lot of questions for you. Uh, yeah, 60-second summary. Uh, I was raised in a Christian household. I'm the oldest of four children. When I was uh, 12 years old, my father, who was an assistant uh, fire chief in my city of Shreveport, Louisiana, was terribly burned and permanently disabled in an explosion, burned 80% of his body, third-degree burns. God miraculously saved him. It made me a true, true believer, and I've followed Christ ever since. And so uh, uh, undergrad, uh, first person in my family to go to college. I went to LSU because that's all you do in Louisiana is you go to LSU. I went to law school there. I became a religious liberty litigator. I worked for the Alliance Defense Fund and some of our other uh, Christian liberty defense groups for about 20 years. And then I ran uh, for state house. I was called to do that uh, in Louisiana, served for a year and a half, and I wound up in Congress. So I'm on my fourth term here now going in. This is my seventh year in Congress. I represent Louisiana's fourth congressional district. Beautiful wife Kelly's birthday was yesterday. We have four kids. Um, and I'm the vice chairman of the House Republicans now and member of Judiciary Committee, Select Committee on Weaponization, Armed Services. Got a lot on my plate. You, you did it well. I guess uh, this, is, this is one of my this, this, Congressman Johnson is the first person I turn to almost always on the issue to find out where things are happening. I so, so appreciate you. He's also one of the persons who helped launch and helped co-sponsor uh, the National Gathering for Prayer and Repentance. In fact, when I called him, uh, he's the one that really beat the drum, repentance, repentance, repentance. And he was a powerful influence in that event. It'll take place uh, again this, this, this year, this next year, January the 31st. Uh, Congressman, we have a, a lot of questions. The CR, the continuing resolution. Here, I'm gonna ask a bunch of questions, just turn you loose. What is a continuing resolution? What does that mean? Secondly, there was a vote uh, last Friday uh, you voted in favor of that at that time. There was a vote on Saturday. You voted in opposition to it. Uh, it did pass that time. You voted in opposition. So explain your votes and give us kind of an update of where we are right now uh, in the U.S. Congress. I'll try to do it in 60 seconds or so again. So in short summary, the way Congress is supposed to work is through regular order, and that's what we when you hear that term, it means that Congress is supposed to, under statute and under custom and tradition, produce 12 separate appropriations bills over the course of a year because each fiscal year ends on September 30th. And so we're operating currently under the 2023 budget, which was enacted in the last Congress. The problem with that is that, of course, reflects the priorities of the President of the United States, Joe Biden, and the Speaker of the House at the time, Nancy Pelosi, because they had the majority. And so uh, it is not a good budget. It spends too much. The government is too large. It does too many things. And what it does, it doesn't do very well. And so as conservatives, we have been beating the drums that we've got to get spending under control. We have a $33 trillion federal debt, and it's going to crush our nation in a very short time. It's the greatest threat to our national security and everything else. Um, uh, so during the tumultuous speaker's race in January that everybody remembers, we went 15 rounds and Kevin McCarthy ultimately obtained the gavel. The concessions that Kevin made was that he would get us back to regular order. And for the first time in close to 20 years, we would actually do 12 separate appropriations bills. 
for many number of reasons that it would take so long time to go through that did not happen. And so here we came to the end of the fiscal year with none of the work done. Now the committees had done some work, but the, the body itself had not voted on those appropriations bills to keep the government funded. So when you get to that situation, uh, what has become the custom in recent, in the last two decades, is that the Congress is forced to pass a CR, a continuing resolution. And it's just a fancy way of saying, we're gonna continue the current fiscal year spending and policies oh, let's say through November or December, we're gonna do it for this much longer so that Congress can really do its work. It's a big legal fiction, they never do. And what happens is, and what's happened every year since I've been in Congress, every time, is that we come up to the end of December, everybody wants to go home for Christmas, and they say, well, good, good golly, we can't do 12 appropriations bills, everybody just vote on this omnibus spending bill, the other nasty word you hear, and the omnibus spending bill says that, well, we'll just cram, you know, trillions of dollars into spending and everything all in one big lump sum. And you guys vote one time up or down. And that bill is usually concocted in the back room by the four top leaders in the House and Senate and their staffs, and it's crammed upon everybody. And it's the ugliest thing in the world, and it's not the way it's supposed to work. So we came up to the end of September 30th. The government was about to shut down because the fiscal year ends. And uh, in a panic, another CR was proposed. The reason I voted on the CR on, on Friday is because it actually was good policy. We recognized that the ball had been dropped. We had not done 12 appropriations bills as was committed to, but we thought if we can force this a little bit longer, let's get conservative policy changes. So the CR that was on the floor on Friday got all Republican votes, all conservatives, except for 20 or 21 people. And that the reason I voted for it is because it was a continuation for another 45 days to allow us to finish the work with the appropriations bills, but it also included border security and included 30% cuts in non-defense discretionary spending overall, and a lot of other policy writers to things that we all care about, ending woke and weaponized policies and all the rest. Unfortunately, it went down in defeat because we only have a four vote margin. And when 20 Republicans said no, it forced us into a corner. And on Saturday, another attempt was made to pass a CR which lost 100 votes. And I was one of the Republicans voted no because the CR on Saturday, unlike the one on Friday, was what they call a clean CR. It basically just continued the policies of the Pelosi-Biden stuff from this year for another 45 days, and I could not be a party to that. So quick summary, that's what happened. You could write a whole book on all of this, but that's the summary. That is really well done, what you just covered there. Now, um, folks, ordinarily we're almost always live Sometimes we have to tape in advance uh, because of the schedule of the speaker, sometimes my own schedule. Uh, this is one that we're taping the day before it airs. We're taping this on Tuesday because uh, the complications of Congress's schedule is very, very difficult. And then my own schedule, I'm, I happen to be speaking at Wednesday night during the time it's on. So we have aired this in advance. Now we tape this in advance. The reason I'm explaining that to you is because from the time we're taping this on Tuesday until uh, Wednesday night with his heirs, there could be a lot happening. We cannot predict it. Congressman, can you uh, share with us what has just happened? We're taping this at 12 noon um, Eastern time in Washington, D.C. Uh, but some things have just developed. So in the next 24 hours, a lot's going to happen. We cannot predict it. So we're 24 hours by the time you watch this, we're over 24 hours behind the curve in terms of uh, present-day news. So we're going to kind of try to prognosticate here based on what's just happened. That being said, Congressman, can you take a time here on Tuesday 
at, uh, at 1230 uh, p.m. Eastern Time, uh, where we are as a Congress, and then tell me when this goes to air uh, Wednesday night, where, where we might be, what are the potential options? For the first time in my adult life, Jim, I am not certain where this is going to lead. I usually feel like I have a pretty good sense. Um, you know, the Spirit of the Lord leads us and gives us wisdom and discernment, and, and, and the Lord's always given me that. I feel like I, I generally have a sense for where things are going to lead, but I, I just don't know right now. All I know is that the Lord has directly spoken to my heart and told me to be prepared for a shaking. This has been happening for a few days until this point. What happened um, here about uh, three hours ago was we were in the House Republican Conference and my, my friend and colleague, Matt Gates, uh, made it known that he was indeed going to file and proceed with his motion to vacate, which he which he actually brought on the floor last night. Go ahead and um, explain what a motion to vacate means. Yeah, it, the motion to vacate under our House rules is basically, it's the equivalent of a vote of no confidence in the British Parliament, where the the Prime Minister, you know, faces a, a reckoning among the body. Well, that, that happens here under our system with the Speaker of the House by a motion to vacate. It's a motion to vacate the chair, effectively, and take the gavel from the Speaker's hand. It's never happened in history where this has actually gone forward and the Speaker's been removed. The last time they tried it, with an actual vote was in 1906, I think, uh, with Speaker Joe Cannon, and uh, for, for, for whom the building I'm sitting in was named after, I'm in the Cannon House office building. Um, he was the speaker, he had a wide margin of Republican majority at the time, and he forced his own motion to vacate because he had some rabble-rousers who were making noise about it. He, he dared him and tested it, and he won it decisively and put the, put the, the, uh, the mutiny to rest. That is not going to happen here today. Um, what will happen here in less than two hours now is we're going to go to the floor. The, the motion to vacate will be voted upon because it's a privileged motion, which means, which means it's, there's no way around it. it. It must be presented. There'll be a motion to table that motion, but it will fail. And the reason we know that is because about 10 minutes before you and I started recording this, Hakeem Jeffries, who is the minority leader, who, who is the, the, the leader of all the Democrats in the House, the minority party, uh, announced that they are going to support the motion to vacate. So they'll, they'll, they'll vote as a block to take down the motion to table. The motion to vacate will then come forward and the Democrats are going to vote to remove Kevin McCarthy as speaker. The trouble for Kevin is, by my guess, you're going to have at least eight to 10 or more Republicans on that first ballot, first round, who will join the Democrats and Kevin will be removed from speaker. From that point forward, Jim, we have no idea what's going to happen. Kevin committed today in, in conference that he is not going to give up and quit so that he will be renominated multiple times, I would assume. But but I'll tell the, the group frankly, I mean I can't predict what's going to happen, but I don't I don't think the appetite will be there to go 15 rounds like we did in January. I think if this continues on pace the way it looks, if all the Democrats stick together, I, I'm afraid that I think that the Republican number will rise in terms of uh, support for the for the motion to vacate and they will not reelect Kevin McCarthy and at that point no one knows what's going to happen um the, the, see we you have to remember that we do, while we do have a majority we only have a four vote majority so it's a it's a razor thin margin and um and it's very difficult to keep a, a group like that together and so what you have is you have people that range from a who are elected in a in an R plus 30 district for example that means that their district is so deep red, it's rated Republican even plus 30 points. Like that's how big they win their margins. We can never elect a Democrat in those districts. But at the same time, in our room, in the Republican conference, 
we have members who are elected in D plus 16 districts. You know, some of the guys in the New York delegation, for example, were elected in Democrat seats, but we worked so hard and raised the money and did the work. We got Republicans elected. Now, as you might imagine, someone who's elected in an R30 district and someone who's elected in a D16 district, even though they both have Republican by their name, they see the world very differently. You know, core principles are agreed upon, but lots of other nuances are not, including federal spending. And so this is how we get into this quagmire. And the problem is, if we have a vacant chair, all of the business of the House must constitutionally grind to a halt because in the Constitution, you cannot proceed with business until you have a speaker. So this could go for quite some time. The question that will linger above, above the conference, above the Congress and above the country is who can emerge to get the requisite 218 votes to be elected as the new speaker. And we don't know how that's going to turn out. Only the Lord knows. But I know that he's been preparing our hearts for this. And um, all of us collectively, many of us who listen to him and um, that God is about to do something here. We'll see. OK, so they need 218 votes and there's 222 in the GOP. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. And, and so they have to have uh, all but all but three and you know, they could lose. Right. Well, four, I guess you're Well, saying. actually three, because one of our members is out, uh, has just had a baby. So, yeah, so it'll be, you can only lose three votes. <laughs> so you have to get every, so you have to get all the Republicans from, you know, the, the moderates and the kind of the left wing of the party all the way to the hardcore right. And there's a very few number of people who have any chance of doing that, I think. So we have the possibility of going back into last time of 15 votes. I, I believe that had not occurred like a hundred and some years. Right. Net number of votes. And so we put, we potentially, uh, I'm just prognosticating here, by the time this airs Wednesday evening, uh, there could have been multiple votes for a speaker by that time. That's one yes. possibility. Right. Uh, okay. Or, uh, or the, or there's a motion to adjourn the Congress and we have days of chaos behind the curtain. Um, so I don't, I, I just don't know what's going to happen, but all the work of Congress will, at least on the floor, will grind to a halt at that point and the whole country will sit and wait. We'll see. Okay. If they, if they vote to adjourn, the, the congressman won't be flying home like they normally do. Oh no. no. Everybody's going to be staying in DC, uh, duking it out. When that yeah. happens, do, do all the Republicans meet in one room and all the, like an HR five and then the Democrats yes. meet in the same room at that and then, then the various caucuses, uh, like the Freedom Caucus, they break off and have their own meeting, whatever they can. Do they break off in a lot of subgroups and caucuses? Well, I hope not, um, because that will only deepen the, uh, the division and, and drag the process out longer. Um, there is no playbook for this. It's never happened in history. So we will be writing the playbook as this proceeds. There's no, there's no historical precedent. There's no procedural manual on what happens next. Um, so we're just, you know, buckle your seatbelt. We'll, we'll see. Well, folks, you know how to pray. Uh, anything more, Congressman, you want to share to help our people understand that? I'm going to leave the prayer right now and we'll go into more extensive prayer. Again, uh, I apologize. We had to record this on Tuesday. And so there's a sense in which some of this is going to sound like old news by Wednesday night, possibly. We just don't know what is coming uh, here or it could be in, in multiple votes. I assume one of the things that's not an option, am I correct, it's not an option that um, uh, uh, Congressman Gates from Florida and others like him might have a change of mind uh, and back away. That's, that is unlikely. 
That, that is, I think that is an impossibility <laughs> at this okay. point. Okay, you know the situation. I, I thought maybe, okay. Uh, Father, we've had, they've had plenty of opportunities over the last weeks and days to, to turn back, but they've stiffened their resolve. And so, you know, there's, there's lots of disagreements. There's mis, I think a lot of misunderstandings. It's not, but it, the, the bottom line is it's very, very difficult to govern when you have sm such a slim majority and, um, it would be difficult for anyone. And, and as, as one of my, uh, one of my colleagues who was a former uh, submarine commander uh, aptly put it. He said, We're, we, we, we operate here in a low trust environment. And um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a problem uh, when you have, you know, when you're effectively at war, uh, politically speaking, metaphorically speaking, you, you have to have trust in the, in the general and the commanding officers. And that, and that, that, has, that is our problem here. So the prayer request, if I might leave you with one, is that, and this will be, as timely when this, when you all do this live as it is right now when we're taping the day before, but what we need is a supernatural intervention from the God of the universe, the God who, in whom we trust. It's emblazoned upon the, right above the speaker's rostrum in the House of Representatives. If you've ever been in the chamber, they added it uh, in the late 1950s. And why did they put, and God we trust above the marble, above the speaker's head as a reminder and a symbol that we were to be distinguished from, this was the beginning of the Cold War, and they wanted to distinguish our worldview and our belief as a nation uh, from the communists and the Soviets, whose worldview begins Marxism with the idea that there is no God. We are different. We are a nation subservient to him. The reason we, we became the great nation that we did, as everybody on this call knows, is because that was the foundation that we held truths to be self-evident, because God created us all equally and gave us our rights. And so our nation has abandoned that. And, and really the only question, I mean, to really just speak spiritually about it, you know, Jim, you and I know we've talked about this. This is an inflection point where we're at a civilizational moment. The only question is, is God going to allow our nation to enter a time of judgment for our collective sins, which his mercy and grace have held back for some time? Or is he going to give us one more chance to restore the foundations and return to him? This is going to be a shaking that might help to answer that question. And so what we need right now, what collectively as a nation, we need to turn to him. We need a revival, obviously, which is what everybody on this call commits to and prays for all the time, I know. But, but more immediately and specifically on Wednesday evening, as y'all are gathering, what we are going to need is a prayer for divine intervention in the hearts uh, and among the members of this body, that they can get beyond their animus, their anger, the frustration, that we can unify as a group and that we can we can navigate our way through this we will not be able to do it without the lord's help because it, there's so the flesh is and the mistrust and the, the sin and everything is so great here that we this is going to have to bring people to their knees and i look i, I believe god is about to do something i'm an optimist I've, I've, I've been reading jeremiah one all morning that god is you know he knows all this of course and he's brought us to this point and i believe that there's a remnant of faithful people and he'll guide us through i don't think god is is done with America yet. And so um, we're walking through that, writing history as we speak. Um, this, this is, you know, this is going to be determinative, I think, for the course of our nation. And so um, the stakes are pretty high. So it's never been more important for the well-versed group to be praying uh, that, that God does his thing and that we don't do our thing. You set us up to go into prayer. I'm going to ask us a couple questions. Uh, and then, then we're going to go right into prayer. But 
Louis Gohmert, back when he was in Congress, nominated Newt Gingrich after Newt Gingrich was out of the Congress, claiming that the Speaker of the House does not have to be a member of the Congress. Um, that was a strange move, and it did not go anywhere. But th there, that that's an impossibility. I, I would say, would you? Would well, you? It, anyone anyone can serve as Speaker of the House. You do not have to be a elected member of the body. That's true. Um, now, I don't think there'll be the the appetite or the will to do that because um, I can't think of any any one figure who could unify this, this whole group. So, and and the the time is so perilous. You could not bring someone in who was not pardon the pun, well-versed in the rules of the house and where we are in the policy and everything else. So it almost has to be somebody within the body. Um, and we'll see who the who the Lord allows or raises up or, or appoints for the time of judgment. Here we go. If there were, this is a bizarre question, so I, sorry if it sounds so outlandish. If there were four Republicans, renegade, who suddenly decided, hey, we're going to vote for a Democrat, and Kareem Jeffers got all of his, it would be conceivable that the Republicans have the majority, a Democrat, to be Speaker of the House. Am I right? That is a possibility that you have five Republicans who are from those moderate or Democrat districts who say, you know what, I'm done with this. If it's not going to be Kevin, we're going to choose a either a very, very moderate Republican to do it and get a, and somehow get the agreement of all the Democrats to join in on that. But they would have to give a pound of flesh and make all sorts of commitments to the Democrats. Effectively, the Democrats would be running the place or, or just put a Democrat him or herself in the post. And, and either one of those things would destroy the Republican Party, the base would revolt, we would certainly lose the majority in the next election cycle, and probably the White House as well. That might finish off the country also, not to speak in you know such dark terms. But I, I, if, if there is an inclination to do that, I think it is a, a game-ending play. And so when I say we're in a perilous inflection point and perilous moment, it, it, that is not an overstatement. Do you have, uh, I, I'm seeing you have it, you're looking at your clock there and I want to be sensitive to your timing. Do you have time to answer the question and say any more about the issue of this could be a time of judgment for America? Well, I mean, I, I don't, I'd be, I'd say I'd preach to the choir on this, this Zoom call or maybe the honored choir. You all know the, the terrible state that we're in. Um, the faith in our institutions is as low as it's ever been in the history of our nation. Um, the, 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 the culture is so dark and, and depraved that it almost seems irredeemable at this point. We, you know, we're, we're, the church attendance in America dropped below 50% for the first time in our history since they began to measure the, uh, the data uh, 60 years ago. And the, the number of people who do not believe in absolute truth is now above the majority for the first time. So one in three teen girls uh, contemplated suicide last year. One in four high school students identifies as something other than straight. Um, we're losing the country, but at the same time, th this is not unprecedented. There's nothing new under the sun, and there have been great civilizations and, and societies in the past that God has worked through and saved and redeemed when all hope was lost. And, and there's even been epochs in American history where things were so terrible that we thought that might be the end. But God, right? And so we're we're the only nation in the history of the world, as G.K. Chesterton said, that was founded upon a creed, and our creed is listed with theological lucidity in the Declaration of Independence. It's the second paragraph. We hold these truths to be self-evident. The idea was that we knew that our rights came from God, and thus our allegiance and accountability was to Him, and we walked away from that. And so the question is, you know, Second Chronicles seven fourteen. I mean, if if my people will humble themselves and pray and turn from their sin, then I will heal their land, right? But but 
are we going to do that? Are we going to be brought to the point where we're humble enough to do that collectively as a people? And then how large is the remnant that he needs? Do, is, it, is, it, is it 10 righteous men in Sodom, as you were texting the other day? I mean, is there a remnant that, that God would say, okay, I've redeemed the land? I believe that that is, I believe that that will happen. I believe that God is going to navigate us through this and the good will come of it. But I don't, to be, I don't see the path in this moment. I just know God does. And that's why tonight I'll go to bed no matter what happens and rest my head. If I get three hours of sleep, it may be less. But when I do sleep, I'm going to, I'm going to remember the refrain from John Quincy Adams, duty is ours, results are God's. I say it to myself daily. I'll do my duty and then I'm going to trust the rest to him and I'm at peace with that. Uh, Congressman Johnson and his wife, by the way, folks, teach a course on the Constitution and uh, on biblical principles that America was founded on. Uh, you referenced In God We Trust at the front of the House chamber. Uh, it was 1953 or 1954. Eisenhower, President Eisenhower, uh, felt the country was going way too secular. Yep. And he, along with his friend, Senator Frank Carlson, Senator Frank Carlson was a farmer four miles from a farm I grew up on. Kansas. I knew him when I was a, a young man. And then, of course, we'd like to claim uh, Eisenhower, his boy at home is in Kansas, Abilene. That's near <laughs> well. And uh, between these two, uh, they felt it was too secular and, and others joined them. In God We Trust in the national model. Under God was added to the Pledge of Allegiance. And the National Prayer Breakfast through the influence of Billy Graham and some others was launched at that time to call the nation back. We need a calling of the nation back at this point. Yes. Congressman, lead in prayer. We're going to let you let you go. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we just turn to you and we come to the end of our own knowledge and experience and expertise and wisdom. And you delight in that when we acknowledge it to you. We cannot proceed one more step as a nation, individually or collectively, without your divine hand of providence, your intervention, your, your, your movement on the hearts of decision makers who have been called and, and placed here and, and for your people out in the land. And so we, we cry out to you, God. We do humble ourselves and pray. We repent for our sins individually and collectively. And we ask that you not give up on our nation, not give us the judgment that we clearly deserve but that your mercy and grace would guide us through these terrible troubled waters and that you would heal our land and you draw people to account. You draw them to recognition that we use this, these disastrous calamitous times um, to, to, to get the attention of the people that you do that and that it's for your glory. And I pray specifically for the faithful here who called here to serve for those on this call tonight, and all those who are leading out in the field and their various spheres of influence, that you would draw your people close to you, God, so that we would, so that we could hear your voice, so we could hear your voice clearly, and that you would guide us as you, you desire to do. And we know that uh, we do not know that you want to work in our presence, God. So hear your remnants, and um, don't give up on our land. And we're grateful for that, your mercy and grace that's guided us these 247 years. We pray for more so long as you tarry before your return. Trust in and believe it. We're confident in that, God. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I think of the scripture, oh Lord, where I have heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Uh, the phrasing is something like that. I can't pull the exact verse out right now. 
But Lord, you've heard the prayer and the cry, and we've seen the tears of a member of Congress. That is a sign of strength and passion and desire for holiness and truth and righteousness. So Lord, I, I ask, I appeal to you to hear the prayer of this member of Congress and many others and all of the rest of us that are joining across the nation in this particular moment. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Amen. We're gonna to go to a time of prayer. Congressman, I really thank you. I know you've got to go right now. We've kept you way longer and you have, you have a meeting starting uh, very soon. It's, all, it's approaching 1 p.m. on yep. on Tuesday right now. And you have a meeting starting momentarily. Yep. Start the course. So I'm gonna let you go right now, talk to the folks for a while, but thank you so much, Congressman, for being on with us. Thank all of you, brother. Your your uh, your influence is is huge in my life and many others here, and I'm I'm really grateful for all of y'all for staying committed. This is the time. This is the time we were all born for. So um, it's a great comfort to me and to many to know that you're there praying and doing what you do. So God bless you. There will be many praying for you as we go to prayer right now. Blessings on you, my brother. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for the time. Thank you. Tonight, before we go into a time of prayer and worship. Former Congressman Jody Heiss from the great state of Georgia, who served in Congress from 2015 to 2023, District 10 in Georgia. We want to thank you so much for coming on tonight. Could you give us a situational news update regarding the happenings on Capitol Hill and Congress that transpired in the last 24 hours since Dr. Garlow interviewed Congressman Mike Johnson? Jody Heiss, Congressman, I'm going to turn it over to you to give our listeners your perspective about the current situation regarding the Speaker of the House. Congressman Heiss. Holly, thank you so much uh, for that. And I just have so much love and respect for Jim. Uh, in fact, I was able to speak with him briefly, uh, probably about an hour, hour and a half ago. Uh, he was in and out of uh here comings and goings and uh, regrets that he wasn't able to be here but i was glad to just thank him for the opportunity to come on and mike johnson a dear friend a dear colleague it's been an honor to serve with him for a long time and he's the real deal he loves jesus and uh, he lives it out loud there in the halls of congress and i would love to see mike johnson to be the next speaker of the house if god would will that but there has been a lot happen in the last 24 hours, as you well know. Uh, I think uh, Jim and Mike just did a great job kind of actually their uh, potential foreseeing what would happen. Much of that has actually transpired uh, just like they anticipated. I do have a few things to bring you up to speed. Many of these things you already know. There are some things that perhaps you don't know. And before you go to prayer, I would like to just bring you as up to speed as I possibly can. Uh, Mike was talking about the continuing resolution and the process of trying to pass 12 appropriations bills. Uh, as, as you go back to January of this year, as Mike described in the battle, 15 rounds to elect Kevin McCarthy. I'm telling you this because this is kind of why we are where we are. Uh, and I think that's important for us to have an understanding. But uh, there, there were 21 who held out on voting for Kevin McCarthy. 
for multitude of different reasons. I won't get into all of that. But while they tried to negotiate a deal, Kevin made some promises to them that if they would support him, he would do certain things. Among the promises, uh, even as Mike said a little while ago, Kevin promised that there would be regular order and that Congress would vote on 12 appropriations bills and avoid a CR and a, even worse, an omnibus at the end of the year. Well, we've had all year long to get those 12 appropriations bills done. They did not get done. And I might add that those 21 who held out in January said to Kevin, in essence, we will vote for you if you keep your word and if we have the ability to vacate the chair if you don't keep your word. And of course, Kevin agreed to all of that. And so obviously I don't need to go into a lot of a lot more details that pretty much tells you why we are where we are Kevin did not bring up the 12 appropriations bills and those who held out their support from him said you didn't do what you said you would do we are going to do what we said we would do and thus we had the motion to vacate now the question comes in was this a good time was the timing right for that Obviously, that can be debated uh, from now to the end, but uh, the the problem, the potential problem with the timing of the vacate the chair right now is that we still have the potential of passing the 12 appropriation bills. They've already passed four. They've dealt with, there, there's about eight remaining, and to throw in the middle of that wrench, the CR that Mike referenced is for 45 days. We now have 41 days left. And so time is of essence, if we're gonna pass these appropriation bills, if they don't get passed, then an omnibus will be passed, which will fund all sorts of radical left-wing woke agenda items that we're all fighting against. And so, that is where a lot of tension came into the decision to uh, against the criticism, I should say, for the motion to vacate. It was like, don't do it now. Kevin didn't do what he was say said he was going to do, but he is trying right now to pass these bills. Let's give time and and deal with the motion to vacate after these appropriation bills. So that was the, the battle back and forth among many conservatives. Uh, but regardless, Matt Gates, as we, we know, uh, went on with the motion to vacate. So regardless of timing issues, we are where we are. And that motion has been filed. It has been voted on. As you well know, Kevin has been ousted for the first time in the history of our country as a Speaker of the House. Now, that being said, the good news in this part that I'm extremely grateful for is that Kevin himself did not drag this out. There was no way for him to be reelected. As Mike said, there's only a slim majority. All it took was four Republicans with the rest of the Democrats voting against him. There was no way he was going to be reelected. So fortunately, he decided, I'm not going to drag our country through this. I'm not going to continue running this over and over. And so we do still have time if we're able to get a new speaker reelected quickly 
we can both get a new speaker and deal with these appropriations bills uh, by by Thanksgiving. Uh, I think it's the uh, 16th, I believe is when the 45 days or whatever, whatever the time frame, I may be wrong there, but 45 days, 41 days remaining. So that giving a little bit of context uh, and background of where we are and for you to understand why we are where we are, I think is important. We need to pray from a perspective of understanding why we're where we are right now. Um, that being said, there are two people right now who have come forward and put their names in the hat to uh, run for, to be a candidate for the Speaker of the House. They are Steve Scalise from Louisiana and Jim Jordan from Ohio. Uh, there are other names that are being considered. For example, uh, uh, there's Kevin Hearn uh, from Oklahoma. There's Elise Stefanik from New York. Tom Emmer. Uh, you have Byron Donalds, uh, Jody Arrington, and even Mike Johnson's name I've, I've heard. I have been in communication today with a number of my former colleagues, Just and that's some of the information I'm bringing you right now as up to date as I can. There are a number of names that are being floated, a number of names that are being considered, but as of right now, only two have put their names in the hat uh, saying they're willing to run. They are Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan. Now, of those two, you may or may not be aware, uh, this is public knowledge. Uh, he's been very open with it, but Steve Scalise has recently been diagnosed with <clears throat> some sort of a blood cancer, a leukemia type uh, disease. He is uh, currently taking, um, he's in treatment. And so there are many people saying, Steve, this is not the time for you to step up and run for Speaker of the House. You have physical issues that, uh, and God bless you, but you need to address those issues first. In addition to that, <clears throat> I will just tell you, uh, openly, based on some of my conversations today with members, <clears throat> frankly, I, I, from what I'm hearing, Steve does not have the vote. I don't believe he has the votes to, to win. So that brings it down to whether or not Jim Jordan could win. I honestly think he's probably the, the best chance we have. And I love Jim. Of course, I was a part of the Freedom Caucus. Jim was our first chairman. Uh, Jim is greatly loved and respected on uh, <clears throat> both sides of the aisle, for that matter. Although, obviously, the Democrats don't agree with him. He's very highly respected and regarded. But within our own conference, um, <clears throat> Jim is, um, has not been strongly opposed to Kevin McCarthy. He has worked with uh, closely with everyone within our conference. That being said, as Mike alluded to, we have some in our Republican conference who are in strong Democratic districts. And I mean, that tells you strongly the worldview that many of them come from. Would those be willing to support a conservative like Jim Jordan? That's going to be the issue. Uh, so here's the timing. 
that we have right now. Tuesday of next week, the Republicans are going to have a conference. And in that conference meeting, they will accept names to be considered for Speaker of the House. As I said, right now, there are only two who have come forward. There are others who are considering. <clears throat> come Tuesday, they will have a closed door meeting where they will, as a conference, have, take votes to determine who can potentially get the 218, now probably 217 votes that are going to be needed to become the next Speaker of the House. They are going to try to duke that out next Tuesday. It will probably be a long day for the Republicans in conference. This is a point of prayer. Let's pray that they will be able to make that decision on Tuesday. The hope is to make that decision Tuesday in a conference meeting and then Wednesday to vote on the floor. If they cannot come to a consensus on Tuesday, then obviously there will not be a vote on Wednesday. But the sooner this gets done, the better for everyone and the greater the likelihood that we will have to potentially uh, get through the remaining appropriations bills, which I think is extremely important um, in what well, it is important. It's, it's extremely important. Otherwise, we're going to be, uh, like I mentioned earlier, uh, pretty much forced to we're going to watch uh, many of our members cave because they want to get home for Christmas or whatever, and an omnibus type bill will will be passed again. And like Mike shared, my experiences likewise. That's what's happened every year since I was in Congress, and it's just it's it's wrong. So that's where we are right now. Um, I, I don't I don't know if there will be any others that come forward. My gut feeling is that Tuesday it will come down between Scalise and Jordan. If either of those receive 217 votes in, in the conference meeting, then uh, they'll go forward. If neither of them are able to achieve that, I would anticipate then some of the other names or perhaps others that I did not mention, other names will start coming forward and being considered. But my gut feeling is at this point, uh, there'll be a vote on Tuesday just on those two. We'll, but again, I could be wrong. We'll wait and see, but I, I anticipate that. So look, we need uh, prayer more than ever right now. Uh, the body of Christ, this needs to be the finest hour for the body of Christ to stand up, to rise up, to engage what's happening on a national level, on our knees. And so I just say thank you for the incredible role that you play. I don't think that we will ever fully understand or grasp this side of eternity, the role and the importance that you uh, are carrying right now nationally and from that perspective, even globally. Uh, so I, I just join with Mike and extending a heartfelt thank you for uh, your prayers right now. This is the most important thing that we can be doing for our country. So I hope that kind of brings us up to speed as much as um, I'm able to at this point. And with that, Holly, I'll kick it back to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Congressman Heist, for your leadership and your mentorship. 
Could I ask you to pray for your former colleagues before we go into a time of, of praise and worship and prayer? Could I ask you to pray? Absolutely. Thank you. Father, it is with heavy hearts on the one side that we come before you right now, understanding the, the stakes that are, are so critical, but also the personalities that are clashing and all the the difficulties that are showing and manifesting themselves right now. But it is likewise with great confidence that we come before your throne, not as though we are defeated, but as children of God, children who have the invitation from you to come before your throne and to lay our burdens before you and to seek your face and to turn from our sins, knowing that you are the God inviting us to come to you and that you are eager to hear and to answer. And so, Lord, I do lift up my colleagues, my friends, those who are right now just uh, in, in the trenches of warfare like many of us cannot fully experience or comprehend. Lord, their, their nights are sleepless. They are, uh, their conversations are endless. The uh, Lord, just all the, the, the threats, I know many of them are facing from multiple um, uh, avenues that are attacking them and accusing them. Lord, we pray a covering over our national leaders right now those particularly in the House of Representatives who are carrying the burden of who is going to be the next Speaker of the House. God, we pray for protection. We pray for clarity. We pray for wisdom. Lord, I pray for those who know you, who believe in you. I thank you, first of all, that they are there for such a time as this. But Lord, I thank you also that you are the one your word tells us in Proverbs 2 that if we will seek you as silver and search for you as for hidden treasures, that then we will understand the fear of the Lord and have the knowledge of God because you give knowledge, you give wisdom. Uh, and so, Lord, you store up wisdom, you said, for the righteous. And so we ask you right now to pour out wisdom on our national leaders and grant them clarity. Lord, unclog the spiritual ears that they may hear and take binders off the eyes that they may see that there would be clarity how to walk through these turbulent times and the difficult decisions before them. And so Lord, watch over their families, watch over their, uh, their thought processes, guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and lead them in this time to lead our country in paths of righteousness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you for listening to the Well-Versed Podcast. For more information, please go to 
www.wellversedworld.org.